Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. We're going to read uh, beginning with verse 6 in just a moment. We want to welcome you if you're online or, of course, you're in person. We're glad you're here. Um, the next membership class is two weeks from today. If you want to join our church, you can do it through that. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. February 6th, I guess that is, that afternoon. I'll teach that class 4 to 6. And then um, there's also some uh, devotionals in the atrium uh, to start Wednesday. If you're going to do a 40-day devotionals, for those who are doing it for an event we're calling Who's Your One? Not Who's Your, like, Indiana, but Who Is Your One? It's about praying for someone who's lost, praying for one person, and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them, etc. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, we're going to read there three verses together. We're going to talk this morning about the cheerful giver. And you may say, well, that's kind of an oxymoron. It feels like it, doesn't it, for you? An oxymoron is a figure of speech that seems contradictory, like jumbo shrimp or true fiction or government efficiency or um, short sermon, whatever the case may be. Well, let's read these three verses together, and we're going to see what the Bible is teaching us as we continue our way through this book of the Bible. The Bible says this, verse 6, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Well, the Bible is using these verses to teach us, like really God teaching us, the, spirit, the right spirit of giving. God wants us to learn the right spirit of giving. And so I'm going to talk about three principles that teach us that, three things we need to learn, three things that God wanted the church at Corinth to learn. God wants us to learn in this generation. And if you're a note taker, would you write these down? And even if you're not, maybe you would be today. Just write these three principles down about the right spirit of giving. Number one, learn to give generously. God wants us to learn the right spirit of giving. And a part of that is to learn to give generously. Paul's talked about this several times in this chapter. He's talked to the church. You may remember the church at Corinth. Uh, and they're encouraged to give to the church in Jerusalem that's facing a great time of poverty and difficulty and uh, adversity and struggle. And Paul is saying, church, I want you to support them and encourage them and help them and provide for them. And so God reminds us through this about the spirit of generosity. He's used that word several times along the way here, including in verse 6. And verse 6 tells us this. The point is this. That is what Paul's been saying is leading to this illustration that we find in verse 6. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, you may be too much of a city slicker to understand this, but if you could go back a little bit in your family history, maybe there's some farmers in your history. My grandparents were farmers. My parents always had big gardens. When I was a boy, as a teenager, I have three brothers. We ate enormous amounts of food. And so my parents, in order to mitigate the problem of so much food being consumed, decided to take the free labor that came with having teenage boys, and they got a corner of a big field and just huge amounts. And we learned this lesson. We learned that we, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap 
generously. We learned that lesson that you make the sacrifice. You don't eat this, all the seed. You make that sacrifice of the seed that provides for the harvest later, that sowing and reaping have a connection. Let's note a couple of things here. Note that generosity is an action and a response. It's an action and a response. So your action has a response. Your sowing leads to harvesting. And if you sow sparingly, of course, you're going to reap sparingly. And the person who wants to have a generous harvest, a large harvest, is going to have to sow generously as well. Because generosity is both an action that we take and a response that happens. My mother one year planted zucchini. We'd never heard of zucchini. We really didn't know much about zucchini. But my mom had read about it and heard about it. And so she decided to plant zucchini that year. And not knowing how much it would produce, she didn't plant just a little bit of zucchini, but huge, huge amounts of zucchini. And it produced abundantly. We had zucchini everywhere. It was a huge harvest. We gave it away to everyone we could, everyone we could think of. We became known as the zucchini people. My mom made zucchini, you know, boiled zucchini, breaded zucchini, zucchini bread, zucchini cakes, zucchini casseroles. I don't know, zucchini pies, zucchini popsicles, everything you could possibly, maybe we didn't have the popsicles, but everything you could make zucchini, we made zucchini. And she recognized that we learned this lesson that generosity is an action and a response that the person who sows generously reaps generously, the person who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. And we, we should note this, generosity blesses others and us. Generosity blesses others. Of course, Paul is saying to the church, I want you to give generously because it will be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. He said to the churches in Macedonia, you be a blessing to those who have who have been a blessing to you, those who have provided for you and shared the gospel with you. But he's reminding us here that our generosity blesses not just us, not just others, but us. We are blessed in our blessing. And blessing others is a blessing for us. Some of you have understood that. You're maybe teaching a life group and you feel like I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm giving, but I'm the one getting all the blessing. My study, my preparation, my encouragement, my teaching, my pouring in, that has been blessing me. And I'm doing it to bless others. Of course, generosity blesses others. But I find myself being blessed by it. So note this, giving generously is in our best interest. It's in our best interest. Now, we don't just give in order to get. In fact, I do want you to note carefully that God is not obligated to you. And it's become a kind of a theme in much of the and parts of the, of the world that says, uh, in Christendom, that says, you give in order to get. And if you give, then God is obligated to give to you, and God is not obligated to us in any way. And how sad would it be, by the way, if God's blessing to us was just material and just things, and God reminds us to treasure something far bigger than just the things of this world. But the principle remains that our giving generously is in our best interest and that our sowing leads to reaping and we don't we don't uh, provide generosity just for us but we cannot help by being generous to bless others and ourselves i heard a story i want to tell you uh, i just heard it this week mark clifton was uh is working for the north american mission board and he's 
He helps in church revitalization, it's called, and churches that have, that have declined, plenty of churches in our country that used to be stronger, that have declined, that have grown smaller and older and struggled to reach people. And uh, he works in that ministry and area, and he has some experience there. He pastored some years ago in a church in the Kansas City area somewhere. I don't know if it's in the Kansas side or the Missouri side, but it was a church that at one time had been a really strong uh, church and a beautiful auditorium, 600-seat auditorium, and they were down to just a handful of people, just a handful of people in that community. And they'd struggled to be able to reach new people. They'd grown very much used to their own traditions and past that had become very important to them to the extent that they were more focused on what they liked or what their traditions were than reaching people and the mission of the church and the gospel and so he helped them they got so desperate they were open to making change and change can just be hard and the older you get the more you'll see that it's, it can be hard for us to change we we struggle often as we get older with change and so this church that had gotten older had just gotten smaller and they needed the change. And finally, it was so desperate, they were really open, willing to say, we're going to try to make some changes. And so they began to make a few, um, to do some things that would really focus beyond themselves and focus on the mission and not just focus on the tradition. And so God blessed them and they began to reach a few young men. Um, it's really an important sign for a church that you would be reaching men, you know, that 18 to 35 year old a uh, young man, young adulthood is a really important phase, really a powerful, influential time in life. And they began to reach a few. They had a six or seven young men of that demographic that began to come. And they began to meet on a, in a small group even one night of the week, like a Thursday night. So small progress, but progress nonetheless. And so uh, a, another church uh, in somewhere in the general region was going through the same difficulties and struggles. And they said... Uh, what can we learn from you? Can you tell us kind of what you've been doing that has helped to revitalize that church some? And so Mark said, instead of me just talking about it, why don't you come Thursday night? And these young guys are having a Bible study. You can come join us. And the pastor decided, you know, I'll also invite this one of the older, we only had a few old men in the church, older guy, only a few people in the church and only a couple of those who had been there a long time. And one of them was a guy, I'll call him Jim. I don't remember his name. So we'll say Jim. He was a retired guy, had been in the church since the 1960s. And the church had seen the church in the glory days and then the long decline that had followed. And he had retired, been a professor there in the local university and retired in that area. And he said, I'll invite him and he can talk about it as well. And so that evening they gathered the other church, all senior adults and then the, the young guys and, and that older man, Jim, in his 80s. And uh, Pastor Mark said, I'm, I'll, I'll start with my older guy. Why don't you... Uh, Jim, tell them a little bit about what's gone on here and such, what God's doing. And Jim started like this. He said, well, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, I really hate the music on Sunday mornings. I hate it. It's not my style. I don't know the songs very well. I don't, you know, I miss what we used to do. And um, the pastor thought to himself, this is uh, not going like I expected it to go, you know. But then Jim looked at those young men and he said, but. And I'd sacrifice all my traditions to reach young guys like this. I didn't think we'd ever have young men in our church again. That's worth all the, any sacrifice and any change that resulted in. And we say this, the moral of that story is this guy was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to give. And through that, God blessed others. And that is true. 
And those of us who have been around the kingdom the longest ought to be the ones most willing to sacrifice, of course. We ought to be the ones most willing to give and to bless and to help, of course. But it's not the end of the story. Jim's wife, in fact, the whole time Mark uh, Clifton had been the pastor there, Jim's wife had never been able to come to church. She was home, uh, homebound and uh, bedridden and had not ever been able to come to church. And she passed away then sometime after this meeting. And the pastor was with Jim, and they were kind of talking about the funeral. They said, Jim, do you have anybody to be uh, pallbearers? Bearer, and, and he said, I don't know. I don't have anybody. They didn't, they didn't have any children. Their only child had died at childbirth, and, and they had um, no family on either side. And so Mark said, hey, how about if I call these young guys and see if they could help? And Jim said, no, man, they don't even, they've never even met my wife. She's never been able to come to church the whole time they've any of them have ever been started coming to our church at all? And Mark said, well, we'll just see. And he texted the guys and said, or pulled a situation. And they said, man, we'll be there. And these six young guys show up at the funeral wearing suits. Pastor didn't even know they had suits. And they're wearing the suits, you know, tie. And they came and they were the pallbearers. And they carried the casket. And they ministered to Jim. And they loved him and encouraged him. And wept with him a few weeks later jim started going to their small group on thursday nights and meeting with them old man jim with those young guys and jim would have said you know i was uh giving to bless them and he didn't know that it, all along it had been in his best interest it had been in his best interest and he thought he was blessing, but he was being blessed. And I just tell you, you can't, you can't bless without being blessed. I'm not saying God gives you everything you want because you give, or God just has to, some obligation. To, I'm saying when we bless others, we find we're the ones who are blessed by that. When we use our talents, when we use our treasure, when we use our giftedness, when we use our service and ministry, God blesses us through that. And so the principle here is to learn to give generously. And we're blessed in our blessing. That's the second principle I want you to note with me. Learn to give willingly. Learn to give willingly. Go with me back to verse 7. Would you just follow along in that verse? The Bible says, Each person should do as he's, he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So here's what the Bible is saying. God wants the right person to do the right action from the right decision with the right motivation, which leads to the right result. I want to talk about each of those. The right person, God wants the right person. Verse 7 says, each person should do as he's decided in his heart. Each person, not just like some special person or a few, each person. Everyone is to give. Everyone has a part to play. In fact, the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ, and we're all different. We have different backgrounds, different roles, different passions, different personalities, different abilities, different resources. All of that is different. We have variety in all of those things, but God puts us together in the body, and though we have different roles, we are serving together, working together, and everyone has a part. It's not them. It's not those people. It's not him or her. It's all of us. Each person has a role to play. No one can take your place. No one else in all the world can be the you God wants you to be. 
each person, the right, pa- the right person, and then the right action, each person should do. That is, we have a, an action here. Giving is an action. God calls us to act. The Bible says we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So the goal of the Christian life is not just to know more information, though certainly God wants us to learn more. We don't just listen to a sermon, a long sermon. The guy just keeps talking and talking and talking just so we can gain information, but so we can put it into practice. We don't just go to a life group and listen to someone, some teachers or listen to some discussion other people are saying, and they go on and on and on just so we know more, but so that we know more so that we can live it out. We don't just read the Bible so we can gain more information, though certainly information is an important thing. God wants us to gain knowledge and understanding, but we do that so that we can put it into practice. We hear the word so that we become doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And may I say plenty of people in the Christian world have been hearers of the word only. And the Bible is reminding us to be doers of the word. So the Bible says here, each person should do, act, get involved, participate. The right person, the right action, the right decision. Each person should do as he has decided, as he has decided. Notice this is not uh, impulse shopping. I don't know if some of you are impulse shoppers. You know, you just see something, you got to have it. I'm not, the, I'm not from the skinny jeans generation. Um, in my day, skinny jeans were when you bought jeans and then you gained weight. That's what skinny jeans were, I'll just tell you. We, when you had holes in them, in your pants, it was because you would like worn them out. And now you buy them because they have holes in them. And if I understand this correctly, the more holes they have, the more expensive they are. So you buy them already like acid washed. And in the old days, you had to go through the process. Now you just, you buy them that way. So let's decide you're, I don't know, I don't know if you go to the mall anymore, but if you went to the mall or you shop online and you see some skinny jeans with lots of holes in them and you say, I got to have those. That's impulse shopping. And the Bible's saying here, no, that's not it. It's not just, man, if the preacher can talk you into it, if there's like a tearjerker story or something, it's let each person... Each person should do as he has decided. There's decision-making. Giving is our logical act of obedience. It's a logical act of obedience when we come to realize that all we have is God's, that we are joining God in these work, that we're obeying the Lord. It's the logical thing. When we see that our life is not just about what we have here, that materialism is a great danger, that thinking we are valued only by what we have and get and hold, and that giving is the antidote to that, it it begins to make sense to us. And so we see that giving is our logical act of obedience. Each person should do as he has decided. And then notice the right motivation. As he has decided in his heart. That's the source of our emotions. God certainly makes us logical creatures, but God makes us emotional creatures as well. God cares about the things we do, but God cares about the motivation behind what we do so that we do the right thing, but we do it for the right reason. God will always care about your motives. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. So it's not just like, I have to, or it's not taxation. Taxation is compulsion. You, you have to do it. I mean, in the state of Illinois, and you have to pay taxes? Did you, 
Were you aware of that? Did you know there was taxes in the state of Illinois? I'll bet you if, you paid, if you've been around here long, you know there's some taxes in Illinois. And if you don't pay those taxes and you get caught, and listen, Illinois may not be able to do everything right, but they're going to catch you if you don't pay taxes. They're going to care about that deeply. And if you don't pay taxes, you're going to get fined or even sent to prison. I mean, it's, it's not like an option for this. But giving, the Bible says, let each person... Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. In other words, the Bible is saying, God wants you to get to the point where we want to give. Boy, that's really different, isn't it? We want to give. The churches in Macedonia we saw earlier in this chapter had great poverty, and yet they wanted to give. They pleaded for the opportunity to give. Now, that's not obligation. That's not compulsion. There's nobody who's saying, listen, if you don't give, you're going to get a big fine. And, you know, you try to enter heaven, it's going to be a big, you know, going to go to prison for a while. None of that. It was a desire to give. The motivation to give. God wants the right person to do the right action from the right decision with the right motivation, which leads, which leads to the right result. The Bible says each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So God wants me to give as he gives. With a willing, cheerful attitude. God's not giving out of compulsion, but out of love. God wants me to learn to give like that. So if you know my story, you know I grew up in church. I was in church all my life. I gave all of my life as a six-year-old boy. I got a Ten, a 10 cent allowance. My parents were cheap. 10 cents allowance. Can you believe that? There's been some inflation since those years, but nonetheless, I gave a penny to the church as my tithe. I would give it to the church. I did that. My parents taught me from the early age. I'm, I'm very delighted that they did. So all of my life, I've given. But I will say, much of the time, I just gave because that was what I was supposed to do. And there is a sense in which there is a supposed to part of faith. We do the right thing because we should do the right thing. And tithing is a basic responsibility for me. I'm glad I did that all of my life. But I didn't really understand very much about the cheerful giving part. I began to see more as God began to remind me that I was a part of participating in something beyond myself, that I could be a part of what God was doing in this world, that everything I had, everything I called mine was God's, not mine technically. God put it into my hands. He gave me the ability or the talent or the air to breathe for that matter but that it was all his, everything I had, and that I had some obligations and responsibilities. But he began to work on my heart about giving with a cheerful attitude. And I just tell you, he's still working on that. Some of you just give easily, and that's not, been, that's not the personality of the saver, those of you who are more, in that, more aligned with me in that world. And God just began to use some, sometimes circumstances, like giving above and beyond to missions. There's nothing, in, nothing that says, you, well, you've got to give a above and beyond to missions or to a building program or to someone in need. But God began to use that in my life to help me to learn to give willingly and to have the right action but also the right motivation and to begin to learn this lesson of being a cheerful giver. And I'll tell you, some of you, some of you, will ne you cannot understand this yet, but there is a real joy that comes when a hard heart begins to soften and when a hold on to it, keep it for yourself. What matters most is what you have. Personality begins to see, no, that's just something far greater and bigger. And when you begin to live for something more than just yourself and more than just what you hold, 
and more than what, just what you have. And it's an important lesson for you to, to get. And so I want you to learn to give generously and then to learn to give willingly. But there's a third principle I want you to note. Learn to give spiritually, spiritually. And I want you to go with me to verse 8. If you have your text open, stay with it. And God, the Bible says, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. This is what I'd call spiritual giving. And I want to talk about seven lessons of spiritual giving from this text, from this verse. First of all, spiritual giving knows God's ability. The Bible says, and God is able. I mean, just stop there for a moment. God is able. This is an important one for you to get. We can trust God with our time and our treasure and our talents because God is able. Giving is about faith, not just money. It's about faith. Giving is a means by which God stretches our faith. He causes us to rely upon him and to recognize that he is able, that we can trust God with everything in our life, with our very life itself. It is a foundational part of our walk with the Lord that we recognize God is able. Spiritual giving, secondly, trusts God's love. God is able to make every grace overflow, to make every grace. In fact, several times in this passage and in this uh, chapter, the Bible uses the term grace to talk about giving. I mean, it's talk, it says make every grace. It's talking about giving. And grace is about love. Grace is where God loves us even though we don't deserve it. It's not that God says, listen, if you do something, I'll love you. If you give, I'll love you. If you serve, I'll love you. Or I'll love you because you give. I love you because you've served. It's not that. It's that God loves us even though we don't deserve it. And giving, our giving is about love. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gives out of his love. And so spiritual giving trusts God's love. God is able to make every grace. Spiritual giving number three, it knows God's generosity. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Every grace, his love overflows. It's like the Mississippi River, it's usually in its banks, but every once in a while, there's just enough water and such that it'll just overflow the banks and spill out all into the fields. And God's love is like that. I mean, he's just generous with his love. It doesn't just have like a little bank and you Sunday morning you get a little, like a little chorus and you get a little bit of God's love. It just spills everywhere. God loves like that, generous love. He loves us though we don't deserve it. He loves us lavishly, generously, overflowing. It's an overflowing kind of love. The cross is a great example of his love. His love for each of us personally, great example. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Number four, spiritual giving covers all of life so that in every way, the Bible says, God's able to make grace overflow to you so that in every way, in every way, here's what I want you to get. I mean, you, this, you need to get this one. You know what God wants? Not your money. God wants you. It's not. Do you think like God was saying, "Oh man, listen, I'm short on money, Church of Corinth, and I don't. So if I could get you to give, it would sure help out in a pinch." It's not it. 
think he talks to us about giving because he's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have enough, boy, I don't need it. I don't have enough talent. I need some talent from you guys. If you could give me some talent, I need some of your treasure. I'm just short on these things. Is that it? No, of course not. God doesn't, God doesn't want our things. He wants us. And when, when God has us, of course, he has all of us. But listen, God doesn't just love your talent. God doesn't just love your money. He's not just trying to get your pocketbook. God wants you. And I'll just tell you, when God has me, he has my pocketbook. And if he doesn't have my pocketbook, he doesn't have me. But God wants me. God wants you. God cares about you. You matter to him. Don't think the goal of the Christian life is just that God needs some things from you. God loves you. He wants you. And so he says to the church at Corinth, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, every area of life, God doesn't, God doesn't just want Sunday morning for that matter. God wants you. All of you. Every part of you. Everything of you. Every aspect of you, God wants you. Number five, spiritual giving recognizes our provision. The Bible says God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need. By the way, there's a difference between needs and wants. My wife and I will talk about first world problems, our terrible, you know, some first world problem they don't have in the third worlds. Uh, they don't have those problems. We have them and we, because we begin to think that wants are needs. And God doesn't always Thank heavens, he doesn't always provide our wants. God provides our needs, always having everything you need. We need to recognize God's provision. I think there's a sense in which we become spoiled because we are so used to having things, we begin to think that's what matters most or that we need everything that we want. Number six, spiritual giving provides every opportunity. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God calls us to excellence. What we do for the Lord, we ought to do well. We ought to give our best to the Lord, not just the leftovers. I was pastoring uh, long years ago. I pastored before I came here uh, for 10 years in Texas. And our, our little church um, there in Texas, I got a call one time from a guy, and he said something along these lines. He said, uh, preacher, they call you preacher in Texas. Preacher, he said, um, we have uh, some old carpet. We just, we're tired of it. It's it you know, stained and ugly and stuff. We just decided to tear it out and get some new stuff. We're excited about the new stuff. And we wanted to give the old carpet to the church. And I thought, I don't want to say anything. You know, I just tried to be nice, but I thought, we don't want your old carpet. I mean, nothing person, we just don't want your old carpet. He wanted a tax write-off, and I thought, it's going to cost us more to throw this junk away. You know, you ought to pay us to throw your garbage away for you. But, man, I, is that how we do it? Just the leftovers, you know? What I don't want, we give to God. What I don't need, whatever is kind of convenient. But, man, excel, the Bible says. What we do for the Lord, we ought to do well. We ought to do better than the world does. Uh, we ought to care more than the world cares about the things of the Lord and about excellence. So the Bible says... So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Spiritual giving results in ministry. That's the seventh one. It results in ministry. God's able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God cares about ministry. 
He cares about you being involved in the good work that he's doing in this world. He cares about you using your time and your treasure and your talents in a way that honors and glorifies him. He cares about your giving being spiritual, not just financial, not just physical, but spiritual. He wants your service to make a difference and an impact. He wants you to use the life he's given you and all that comes with that life to be used in a way that brings honor and glory to his name and an impact in this world. He allows you to participate in the work that he is doing in this world. He allows you to join him in that action. And so he teaches us to learn to give generously and to give willingly and to give spiritually. And through that work of God, he is able to do this miraculous thing so that we, the broken, hard-hearted people that we are, living in this broken, hard-hearted world that we do, can teach us to become cheerful givers something as crazy as that to begin to see the world as God sees it to begin to care about things more than that last eternally than the things of this world to think about the world in a way that is so different to stop living by the materialism of our society that says your value is based in what you have and what you hold and to say God I'm going to find my value in you who loves me who cares about me who gave your life for me and who calls me to something bigger and greater and more eternal. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we pray, maybe some of you here have been struck by the generosity of God, how much he's loved you. And you need to trust him as Savior because God wants you. That's what he wants. He wants you. And today, would you be willing to turn from self to Christ and just acknowledge that you're a sinner who needs a savior and trust Christ to save you give your life to Christ and he'll save you Christian might you might the Lord be saying to you I want you to learn some lessons along the way so that you'd begin to think about life about giving about service and about ministry as I see it not as the world sees it that you wouldn't just value things but that you would care about eternity. Not just things that are going to pass away, but things that last forever. That you'll see blessing as a means by which you can glorify me, and then I'll bless you as a result of blessing. I, I love to bless the blesser. I love to bless, to allow blessing to be a part of your life. Just as I give blessings to others, I want to give blessings to you. I want to cause you to live a life where you're thinking of others and living for others and not just yourself and to see the greater spiritual blessings that come with following the Lord and obeying him. Would you say yes to him? And Father, I want to thank you for your word there. These three verses are so powerful for us. They teach us about an attitude that is so different than how the world sees life and money and giving and sacrifice and service. But you have something so much better for us than the world. And so we want to trust you. And we want to follow you. And we want to obey you. And we, Lord, we want to do the right thing, but we also want to learn to do it with the right motives. And so, Lord, would you help us to become cheerful givers? For some in this room, that is a really hard thing. And, and, and they don't see that change coming easily or quickly. But you are the miracle worker, the way maker. And so would you teach us more about seeing the world as you see it so that your name is glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.